Hi guys, my name is Steve. Um, I feel not probably the person to give this message. So often I feel like a goober, you know, that God saves. It's like, why am I doing here? And I fight with God about coming up here. But I get threatening things from people, some in this room. <laughs> um, so I made the mistake of telling someone, well, Levi, um, of something that happened in my life. And uh, anyhow, my advice, I don't know if you guys know what's going on, but he picks different people to come speak. So I, this is what's going on. I don't know if you guys are in the know, but Levi needs to be appreciated. When tithes and offerings are down and he doesn't get enough hugs like out that line, he picks one of us. Well, the last time he picked Brian and he nailed it. So then he saw me and he said, there's a ram in the thicket, you know? And uh, so anyhow, I want to uh, tell you a story of uh, what Moses happened in this one specific area. Um, Levi was saying that I'd like to ha speak about Moses. So we're gonna go through some of that, but we have this one spot. But first let's pray, Lord, I need your help. Would you tell your story? Clearly, Lord. Thank you for your deliverance, your mercy and your judgment that you show throughout time. Your name we pray, amen. amen. So here's, here's what happened, guys. Um, I don't know if you argue with, I'm, I told you I'm a, uh, weird in that way. Um, so I argue with God, I fight with God, I wonder why, I ask him, it's just, it's a mess, you know. I, some of you guys got it figured out, I don't. And uh, so <laughs> I'm reading one day, uh, this little plug for our daily bread, and uh, are you kidding me, five minutes off already? Jeez. <laughs> um, so I'm reading in the Daily Bread, and it says about, in, in Exodus 20, that you shall have no other idols, you should, no other gods before me, there should be no idols. And I say, okay, and I was, all day it bugged me, so then the kid's gone, I don't like to go to people's houses, my kids and wife do, they like to be social. And so I'm, I'm pulling it up at the same spot, but it doesn't land there, it actually lands on Exodus 14. Glasses, when you get old, this will come to you guys. Um, so in Exodus 14, if we have that slide, so here is, here's the part that just grips me. This is the title is today is directly opposite. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near, I'm not a linguistic person, I don't know, Pi Haroth. This is Exodus 14, by the way. Between Migdal and the sea, that's interesting, they are, in camp, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So as I was reading this, I was thinking, that's interesting. You want to do this for the Egyptians, I thought you want to do this for the Israelites, but he says, no, it's, I'm, I'm going to show my power and I'm going to do this 
and the Egyptians will know that I am God. And I read it through it one more time, and then this word just struck out to me. Two words in here, and they're, they're right in the middle of it. It says, they are to camp by the sea, directly opposite. How many times does God say directly opposite? I want you at this point right here, right now, this very point. I mean, he's, there's no mincing of words in there. And I said, okay, Lord, you got me. What is directly opposite there? I, I mean, I'm almost 57. And all these years, I've never seen that word in there. Never once. It's like God just put it in there. And it's, uh, I went through and checked other versions to see if he had put it in there before to catch him. But it's always been there. I just never seen it. So I said, okay, let me, let me go through and find out where is directly opposite. This, is, this might be something. Maybe you're onto something, Lord. So um, do we have a slide of the, the route? So here you can see where Goshen is, right? Oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> there, here, so here you can see where Goshen is, and they're coming down on this big peninsula. That's what I just want you to see right now, and they're heading to this tip. People argue about where the route that they went, but there's some things in there that are, give us pretty good clues to where we think it is. And I can give you those reasons, but we gotta do some NASCAR in here to get through all this. Um, anyhow, so, Way back, a long time, now we're going back in time. We're going back 400 years now to tie this sort of in. 400 years ago in Genesis 15, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, and for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So here's, here's Abraham. I mean, he has nothing. He's going out there, and the Lord's saying, I'm going to make a nation out of you. What? You're kidding me. Yeah. And he foretells it's going to be 400 years. So imagine if, if one day, if the Lord said to you, hey, in, four, in 400 years, your family will own Tesla or Microsoft or Intel or any of the big, the Apple, we'll go with Apple. If your family would own all of Apple in 400 years, you would be passing it on to every generation. Hey, we're gonna suck now, but in 400 years, <laughs> we're ringing the bell, right? So they held on to this and they were, they were passing this along. Okay, so now we're fast forwarding to uh, Moses. So. They got to be, there came a point when Pharaoh was no longer uh, remembering how good Joseph was to him. And so they started enslaving these people. And for 400 years, that a ring back? Um, so for 400 years, um, they're going to be enslaved. And they start, they start multiplying. The harder they get work, the more they get, uh, they prosper. And so finally he says, okay. Pharaoh says, I want every one of those babies, when they're a male, they're, I want you to kill them. And so the midwives, ironically, in, in Exodus 1 said, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do to let the boys live. So they had a choice to fear God in the circumstance that they were in. For 400 years, they were being punished and these people still chose. Okay, fast forward. They're now saying, we want you to chuck them in the Nile. 
and so this is how Moses comes. They put him in a basket. He's going down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter comes out and, and gets him, pulls him out. She's the one who named him. Do you know, ironically, what, her, what she named him? I drew him out of water, or to draw out of water. Isn't it ironic, that name, with what the Lord was going to bring later on? where in the Red Sea, anyone can take a nation into the sea, but only God brings them out of the water. Just, like, who, who names their kids, you know, that? He didn't name them Steve, he named them Moses, you know? <laughs> he should have, but anyhow. Um, so now we, we go forward a little bit here, and now, so Moses, I'm fast-forwarding through a lot, but here's, here's Moses, he gets raised up in the Egyptian culture. He is... Uh, at one point, he gets out, he gets into a fight, and then he is, um, he kills somebody, and they, he gets found out, so he goes out into the desert for 40 years. He stays there hiding, and God comes to him in a burning bush, and he says, you know, this is the Lord, and he couldn't understand this bush kept burning, and then Moses, he was, they start talking, and God says, hey, throw down your stick on the ground, your staff, and it becomes a snake. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God and he says to throw a snake down and all of a sudden you, he ran from it. He, like who's more powerful than God but he runs from a stinking snake when you're, God's right there with you. You should be okay, right? So Moses had this time where he's developing his faith just like we are developing our faith. God is wanting for us to be knowing him for eternity. In many ways, we're eternal creatures. God wants to know us. It's not so much of where we are at now as to what God does through us. So um, as this is going on, the Lord says, hey, uh, I want you this is who I am. So he shows him the snake thing, and then he puts in, put your hand in your vest, pulls it out, leprous, put it back in, and it wasn't leprous. It was clean. And then the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. And he gave him the whole plan. And then, the, and then Moses said, well, I, I don't speak so well. I don't think I'm going to do this. And the Lord says, listen, I'm the one who goes before you. I'm the one who gives you power. And, the, and then he says to the Lord, no, go find somebody else. Can you imagine who, who does that to God? And we laugh at him and we think, Moses, you're such a yutz. I mean, can't you figure this out, you know? And God says to us, he, I think he puts that in for us. He's saying, hey, guys, you do the same thing. You know, I show myself to you and you don't believe me. You say no to me. When God comes knocking at that door, you know, don't say no to him because then the Lord starts, you know, making it clear to him, you're going to do this, you know? So at that time, um, God heard the groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. Just a side note, a bunny trail here. Um, when God says, I remembered, it's not like, how can God forget when he remembers, all, he knows all things, right? A lot of times remember, like when we are to forgive someone, it's when the, God says, I will not remember your sins. He's, I will not hold to account your sins. So in God's accounting, he knew that it was time, right? 400-year clock, remember that? It's ticking in the background. He comes to Moses and he says, uh, and Moses said to him, here I am. Have you ever heard that in the Bible before? Like I was going through that and thinking, wait, Samuel said that same thing, right? That's the response what God wants from us is to say, Lord, here am I. We're not God. He is, you know,
a reason then in, in uh, Exodus 4 we're coming on. Lord said, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf and mute? Who gives them sight? Who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, I go, now go, and I will help you speak, and you will, teach what your, you will teach what to say. I will teach you what to say. All right, so now we're coming down here, and here's the plan. The Lord's saying, I'm gonna go, and it, uh, it's gonna be really difficult on the Egyptians. God's power. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made, made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet and you are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions and my people, the Israelites, and the, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So now we're going along this, this route here that the Lord has, and it's now he's getting into these plagues, and he brings 10 plagues, 10 wonders into this. And remember, the whole time this is happening, Pharaoh is saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israelites go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. He's full of himself, right, and who he is. So this, I'm gonna go through this really quick here, the 10 plagues and the 10 wonders. Do you realize um, that these plagues and wonders, God is addressing more than just making it hard on the Egyptians? He's taken down their gods one by one by one. I mean, not just little gods, but in, in their culture, big gods. So do we have the uh, slide for the plagues? Okay, so here's the 10 plagues. First, he turns the water to blood. Kunim was the guardian of the Nile. And this, the Nile River just really was their lifeblood for that. I mean, all the irrigation, everything from that. And the Lord just starts whacking at them one by one, first in discomfort. Uh, guardian of the Nile, Hepi is the Egyptian god and guardian of the Nile. And so all the fish died and the river just stank for seven days. Have you guys ever been like a shallow uh, creek? I, sometimes a salmon come up and they die. Man, it stinks. This happened for seven days. I mean, there was everywhere the stench in the place. Um, and God took down their god, Kunim. Next is frogs from the Nile. Hekit was the wife of uh, Kunim, Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and she had a frog's head. You know that back then, killing a frog, like some places, it's like a cow. It was like a death penalty. And God says, you're gonna have a frog for a god? I'm gonna make you choke on them. They couldn't step over, they couldn't walk, they rolled over. There were frogs everywhere. People were killing frogs night and day. And the God, the Lord God, made their god of frogs just made them all kill them out of their own. They didn't have a choice. Just crazy how he did that. And all this time, the Egyptians are, uh, his magicians were sort of duplicating this until now. So now we get to the third place and Aaron is the one doing this. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, in some ways, Aaron was the number two guy and these guys were matching Aaron up to a point, right? So now we come to three and he says, nights and light lice. Geb is the Egyptian god of earth, set the god of deserts. But the magicians couldn't do this when the Lord said, smite the earth. This is the finger of, they said, we can't do that. 
they were the ones who started figuring out, this is the finger of God. This was the last time that the Lord used Aaron. From here on out, it's like, hey, you guys matched Aaron? Guess who's coming next? Moses. And they, they couldn't match what was coming after that. So up to this point, it's all discomfort. From this point forward, now we're getting into destruction. Just flying through here. Kepri is the, uh, was the Egyptian god of creation, movement of the sun, rebirth. Utachit was the god of the fly. And they, these flies, they just ruined the land. From here on, only the Egyptians get the plagues. And Pharaoh has learned who Christ is now. And, be, and how do we know that? Because he starts bargaining with them. Hey, okay, you guys, only in the land if you call off the flies. Um, three day, for, instead of three days journey, but Pharaoh relents and says, hey, don't go very far so the flies would leave. And this time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And you see now that the things start getting destroyed. God is starting to differentiate between just discomfort and he is saying, I'm, I'm gonna make it destructive now. So then he takes out the cattle. Hathor is the Egyptian goddess of love, protection. She had a cow's face, Ephus and Ptah, the gods with a bull head. This plague was given, God even gave him advance warning and then he sent the disease and pestilence throughout killing off all these livestock and they needed this. I don't know if uh, you're fully aware, but it affected their food, their transportation, their military supply. When they lost the cattle, it was a big deal. Then came boils. You know, the Egyptians were uh, clean-shaven people. Uh, they, the cleanliness was paramount, so God says, boils, boys. It, Egyptians, goddess of medicine and peace, Sekhmet was the goddess of power over disease. Sunu, the pestilence god, and Sapras, the god of healing. Imhoptop was the god of medicine. And do you know when this, the boils came, they were everywhere. Even the magicians could no longer stand before God's presence. Who's left? Now that's only Aaron and Moses, right? Who can stand before God? And up to this point, Pharaoh was hardening his heart, right? And this time, the Lord was the first time that he hardened his heart. The next was hail, you'll see, not Osiris, god of crops. And now the hail starts coming down and takes out all their barley and their flax. But he left, God left them the wheat so that they could still have food, right? After this, Pharaoh, first the one before, he hardened, uh, God hardened his heart. God gave him another chance. And this time it was Pharaoh who hardened his heart after the hail. Now came the locusts. And there's almost nothing left of their economy of, of what's left there, right? So the locusts came. Seth is the Egyptian god of storms and disorder. Pharaoh's officials started saying, and back then no one disrespected the king, but now they're starting to say, his own people are saying, Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to, uh, oh, sorry, Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? I mean, his best advisors were telling him, let them get out of here, let them go. And do you know in that question that the, was asked to him, God says you know, to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? We are all, we think we're God. So many times people will say, I, I don't believe in a God. Yeah, you do, you just think you're it, you know? And, and God doesn't want that from us, right? He wants us to bend our knee. Okay, by the way, do you know where those locusts got swept into? The Red Sea. 
the Lord just blew the wind and took them into the Red Sea, sort of ironic where they were, what was gonna happen next with the Red Sea. Okay, darkness, darkness is a complete absence of light. Why did God use darkness? Now, one of the reasons I think is to show that in the future, can you imagine life without God? Utter darkness, he takes his, his person, his spirit away, and we're left with darkness. It's uh, right before death, right? Death of the firstborn. Uh, back then, people thought Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. They, they, he was. And some believed him to be the son of Ra, manifest in the flesh. They believed him. And yet, ironically, it's the Lord who sent his son, firstborn, manifest in the flesh for our, for our salvation. For them, it was death. The Lord said, hey, I want you to do this Passover. You know, he put the blood over the doorposts and everybody that didn't have that in Egyptians. Can you imagine the wailing? Every house lost a firstborn. Can you imagine what that does in the military when you no longer have your top guys? You know, all of a sudden they're gone. I mean, just, you know, gone, gone, gone. It's it decimated. Okay, we're trying to get to where we are wanting to go. All right, 10 plagues after that. So here we are in Exodus 12, 31. So during the night, the Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said we will all die. So the people took their dough and before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders and eating troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked God for Egyptian for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. All of this was foretold by God. And then the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the doe and the Israelites, had brought from Egypt. They baked loaves of unleavened bread. Their dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare the food. Now the length of time of the Israelites, people lived there. Remember that promise that we read in Genesis 15? It was, they lived there 430 years. I'm thinking, Lord, are you, what's with the math? You said 400, 430. Well, when Joseph went there, he stayed there. He was there for 30 years. And then the 400 year clock ticked. And the Bible says in that last verse, at the end of 400 years to the very day, all the Lord's division left Egypt. I mean, that's incredible that the Lord says, I know you're gonna be there a while, uh, but he keeps his word, his promise, right? Okay, so now we're at, this is what the whole me message is about here. That was just about God's. Okay, so now we're on, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, right? We read that earlier. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. So, we are now in the root. And there's a little map here I wanted to show you guys. So you see how they, they go down basically in a big capital U, right? Across the top, you would think that's sort of the, the, the easiest direction to get there. Why did the Lord take them down? Why did he do that? The Lord answers that 
in the next verse uh, when he says, then Pharaoh, when Pharaoh let the people go, in Exodus 13, 17 through 18, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road, this top road, through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God let the people around the desert, around toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Do you, as we go through our life, so many times we're wanting to go the directest route. Lord, I want to do this and I want to do that. Lord, how come you don't do it? Because God is working in our lives, his plan. This is his show. This whole thing is about him. The answer to every question is Jesus, right? So he takes us not where we want to go a lot of times, but he is working something in the background. So he takes them this way. As he's leading them, he's, there's, here's the pillar of fire. There's a couple of verses in there that's really interesting. It says that your cloud stays over them, that you go before them in Numbers 14, 14. It says that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp to show you the way you should go. In other, Nehemiah it says to give them light on their way. In Exodus it says, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them. So God is moving and it's not just, hey, Moses going through here. Here there's a pillar, a huge pillar, a cloud in the day and then a pillar of fire by night, right? So now they're going and they go to the, go to this, um, as they're going to this point, that tip of the point there, it was, it's about 300 miles from Goshen to the Red Sea crossing. They did it in about 17 days, about 18 miles a day. The average human walking speed is three miles per hour. So you know, within a couple miles, you walk a couple miles in the morning, rest a couple miles, it's possible for them to get there. Interestingly enough, a lot of people went with them. The Bible says in Exodus 12, 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them along with the flocks and herds and a very large number of people and livestock. So now that they're getting going, can you imagine the elation? They're slaves for 400 years. They have reason to believe that God is God, but they also have reason to believe that he's not because we've been getting our tail kicked for 400 years. Our kids have been thrown in the Nile for the crocs. You know, they have a tough time believing, but God is working on them through our lives, just like he works on us through our lives. He, we have many difficulties. We have pain, and yet God works through that pain. And the whole time, he's weaving along. You know, it's like a tapestry. It looks on one side, it looks all convoluted until the Lord shows us on the other side what he's been weaving in our lives. So here they're going to Sukkoth, right? And I, I was wondering, why, why stop there? Like on day nine, they stopped there. They waited at Sukkoth. Well, there's lots of copper, and they were the copper and turquoise mines. And they waited for the rest of the Hebrews. Remember all those people who died, the firstborns, and by the time they're getting out of there, they still haven't. There's people working in those mines. They come by and they stop for all the rest. Can you imagine all the women and the kids saying, hey, my husband's in there. Yeah, my little son's in there. Let's get him. So they pick them all up and they're on their journey, right? So now we're going down here and we, and we get sort of to where, real close now where the heart of this thing is at. And that is the picture of Migdal. Do you have that? Um, maybe not. Okay. Um, so 
as we're coming down this peninsula, there is Migdal. Migdals were watchtowers. Um, they were watchtowers that were in this place, Migdal. I have a, a Google picture here I was going to show you. But they're like 500, it was about 500 meters tall. So at the edge of the peninsula, they're watching this. They're coming over this tower. And you think, why did it, remember it said what was talking about Migdal. Why was that so important? As you're coming around this tower, that's the enemy watching. Have you ever gone through life and you feel like everything the devil knows, everything, it's like no matter what you do, he's on to you. He sees you. He's working against you. He's given real-time live information. So now they go around this watchtower, right? They're coming around the watchtower, and they're coming, and you'll see this picture, if you have them at all up there. Okay, so here's Migdal. They go around this tower, and they start going this way. Uh, day 16, they get over there to Etham. And if we see the next slide. There, thank you. So the next slide, you see... They go, all, they go all the way up to Etham. And Etham is a dead end. It's a huge wall. They're trapped by mountains. And you're thinking, Moses, why are you taking us this way? Get us the heck out of Dodge. You know, this, they're going to be after us. Go. Why does the Lord did that? It wasn't Moses who led them there. They were led by the cloud. They were led by the fire there. Like, Lord, what are you doing? Why does God take us back sometimes? We're trying to go ground in our lives, right? We're trying to reach this and that. We're concerned about our 401, and, and we don't want it to become a 201. We want it to be an 801, you know? And God, is, and God is sometimes backtracking and covering and saying, I've got this. I'm teaching you. They, they had a hard time trusting, but the whole time God is working in their lives. So now you wonder, why did God, I was wondering that when I was reading that, why, why these things, why are those cities so important to you? They're important to you, Lord, but not to me. Then I'm starting to read that, and I'm going, okay, so they're back at, they're right back at the spot, and this is a big tip uh, spot here. If you can go to the next slide. Okay, so now they're coming back here, and you say, why, did, why that little jot? Why was that so important? And, it, and uh, you don't have to flip that. I'm just going to read it for you. And then it said in 14.3, it says, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. How, how, is, how is Pharaoh getting this? We're now 300 miles from his, you know, King Shaki place where he lives. 300 miles, how is he getting this? Because in Migdal, it's a watchtower, um, and they have other places in the Bible where they use the watchtower as Migdal. So... They had these pigeons that could go within four hours in a message just sitting on his desk or sitting wherever his, his messenger is coming up. Hey, here's real time. You know, they didn't have cell phones, all that stuff. How did he know? Because they're getting real time messages back as to where. And so now Pharaoh's thinking, these guys are idiots. They're going back and forth. And can you imagine, you talk about buyer's remorse. If you buy a new car and sometimes people have buyer's remorse. These guys had buyer's remorse. They walked out. They plundered them. They took their jackets, their Armani jackets, their four-wheelers, everything that they had, they took with them. And their kids, the Bible says their kids were wearing the Egyptian clothes. Can you imagine if you're an Egyptian back here and you're saying, they took our cattle, they killed our cattle, they killed everything, and they got, they're wearing my threads. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to go after them. And so day 17 now, now Pharaoh's hot and he's coming and they are mad. So, 
and you're sitting at this point. Why? Remember, the, here's the whole point of the message. is They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Bel-Zephon. What the heck is Bel-Zephon? So here you see that picture. Uh, there is Bel-Zephon right there uh, from a view. And you could, can you imagine just millions of Israelites going around the, the, the tip of that, going over to Etham, and then coming back, and they're sitting there. Bel-Zephon, what do you have with that, Lord? Baal means Lord, Zephon is north. Do you know, and this just, this just blows my mind, when I, the mountain of Baal-Zephon is where Baal supposedly led the pantheon of Canaanites gods. It came to signify the direction north for the Israelites. Um, and this was uh, Bel-Zephon, Bel the Greco-Roman, Zeus, Cassius are the same, and the Greco-Roman deity came to be identified with the Canaanite one. So the god of Bel-Zephon is, do you know what it is? Anybody? This is, this is amazing. So this god, Bel-Zephon, is a sea and storm god. Do you see what God's doing? <laughs> God has taken down every one of their gods and he's saving the big one, Belzephon, the sea and storm god. They actually have, it's 500 meters tall, sort of like where Migdal is across. Those people there, they have aerial views of, uh, of different worship sites. So here at the top of Belzephon, they're in their dormitory worshiping their bell dude and they're about to witness the biggest thing in history as God opens the water. Can you imagine? Hey, Harold, look out the window. You ain't seen something like that. I've seen it all before. We are the sea and storm God. No, not like this. Can you imagine that going on? Because you wonder, how did, how did the rest of history learn this? Because they had people seeing it uh, there. So this point that God has us to is, is an interesting point. Um, and I want just to catch up here in the verse here as we go from verse 5 through uh, 12. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and all his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their service. So he had his chariots made ready and he took the army with them. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all them. Did you catch that part? With officers all, all, over all of them. These weren't chumps that were coming. They were like whatever the elite commando unit. I mean, they had well-trained people in those chariots. Lots of people coming. So the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, just almost like with the hook, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped near the sea at Piharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. So now they're saying they overtook them, and now they can look. They've come around this peninsula, millions of Jews, and here is the army, and they're sitting there, and it's like, we've got you. They're probably overlooking their thing, and they're saying, hey, okay, we're going to do this. You know, death was over. Can you imagine the palpitation that was going on in the Israelites? They were coming this way. All the kids, you guys have kids. Can you imagine them? Come, what's going to happen, Mom? 
And you just see this fear for 400 years. You've been slaves for 400 years. You have no out. And then they go to Moses and they say, dude, what are you doing? Was it not enough that you took us out of Egypt that we're going to die right here? And they're just at the end. Can you imagine them just on their knees in utter frustration, their lives over? And the Lord lets that happen. Why does he let that happen? You know, to us, um, why does he let us suffer? Pharaoh and his army, Egypt army traveled. They did 250 to 300 miles and they stopped 20 miles from that shore. Uh, recently, the Denver Nuggets won a, the championship and they had their coach. This, the Denver Nuggets has nothing to do with this message, but this, he, had a, he had a cool poem. This guy says, I hate in my players when they have self-pity. And he brought this up and he says, one of the favorite poems I have is, he read this D.H. Lawrence poem, and I'm not a poet, I don't care about poetry, but sort of seems fitting, right? So here's this poet, poem by self-pity D.H. Lawrence. I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. Why is it that we have self-pity? You know, animals don't do that. And yet there's something in us that just comes to this point. We're on the peninsula point of our life. Lord, everything's crashing down. It's not working. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's others, uh, family. And we're at that point. Where do we go? There's nowhere left to go. There's a, there's a sea. There's the Red Sea standing there, right? Why does God allow us to suffer they had reason to believe. They saw the staff. You know, they saw him eating the other snakes. He would put his staff down. Pharaoh put his staff down. They put his snakes, and God's snake would eat all their snakes. You know, they had all these different reasons to believe. And here they're at their, their wit's end, and they're saying, what do we do? Who do we have to believe? And I just wanted to uh, take just a, a quick segment out. God says that he's concerned about us and sometimes for those who aren't believers, I just wanted to say, in Romans it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on, you know, so there's like all of us are in the same boat, right? And then he says, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And nothing else, nothing of our plans, it's only in him. In Romans 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, I don't know I'm running out of time. I'll make it quick. Um, there's the book, it's called A Severe Mercy. These, these guys were atheists. They were contemporaries of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of those guys, there's few people that can say a whole lot in a few words. If you ever get a chance to read something to him, he's just like, I have to read his like 10 times to get it, you know? But anyhow, in this guy, these were contemporaries of him, and, he's, and, and they were atheists, and yet they both came to the Lord. And this guy was at the edge of his cliff, he sort of described it, and he said, now I had, the position was not as I had been comfortably thinking all these months, merely a question of whether I was to accept the Messiah or not. It was a question of whether I was to accept him or reject. My God, there was a gap behind me too. Perhaps the leap to acceptance was a horrifying gamble, but what of the leap to rejection? 
there might be no certainty that Christ was God, but by God, there was no certainty that he was not. If I were to accept, I might and probably would face the thought through the years, perhaps after all, it's been a lie I've been had, but if I were to reject, I would certainly face the haunting, terrible thought that perhaps it's true I've rejected my God. When we're on that peninsula point, this, he, he wrote, and this guy was on that spot, he wrote just like six lines, between the probable and proved, there yawns a gap. Afraid to jump, we stand absurd. Then we see behind us sink the ground, and worse, our very standpoint crumbling. Desperate dawns our only hope to leap into the word that opens up the shuttered universe. As we're on the peninsula, maybe everyone's a believer, maybe not, but there's sometimes you come to a point where there's you can't take that leap of faith. You know, there's what's there. To, you, have to be, you have to be a Christian to have faith, but you have to have faith to be a Christian. You know, how, do, how does that work? And he came to a point where everything that he stood on was crumbling. There was nothing left. And God moves us to, he takes everything from us in our lives that we have as gods. You're fighting against the God of the universe when we have our gods. And he takes us away from what we have left to stand on, Right? And it, there, and it just crumbles away. And he get, brings us to a point where the only thing left is taking that step of faith. He gives us glimpses. He doesn't give us a vision. We don't see everything out. We don't see the Red Sea open up. It's, there's a sea there. God doesn't do that for us. He doesn't make our lives. He's wanting a relationship for eternity. He's working in our lives so that he can be with us. <laughs> All these things that matter to us, they sort of matter to him, but not really. He's, it's about what he's doing, right? Does that make sense? Sort of, sort of not. Anyhow, I know Levi, wherever he went. Um, we're getting close. So here we, here we go now. And so Moses answered on, on verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And what, what Krista said earlier, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to, be st to stand still. Then the Lord said to Moses, so you can all this crying in the background, right? And, the, and Moses get inherent in, from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots. Then the angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. Do you realize that? I'll just finish this verse. That then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind him, and the pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, and so neither went near them. So what's, what's interesting here is God is bringing this cloud of fire between his people, and on one side it's darkness, just like he has judgment on one side, he has light on the other. And it wasn't until after they got to see all of those people, all their armies coming, and God, why doesn't he do that first? Sometimes he allows what he's working in our lives 
so that we see that, that harm, you know? And it was then that he moved. He says, okay, that's enough. And he moves his, his pillar behind them and they got blocked, right? So now... God's, God's word, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, now then my children is salvation because God moves through his wisdom through us. When we're at that tip, that peninsula tip in his life, God wants to work in our lives. And he says, now then my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Judah realized that he said for the Israelites in verse 15, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out? Tell the Israelites to move on. Can you imagine? They're at the edge of that cliff and they're saying, move on? Where to move on? There's an ocean there, right? Now we're crossing the Red Sea. Then the Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into a dry land, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through on dry ground with a wall of water. Think of it like two arms opening up. The Egyptians, the Egyptians verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down on the, through the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Can you imagine that that night the Lord says he looks through that fire? If you were an Egyptian on that day, can you imagine being the Lord looking through that cloud, through with his eyes? That must have been a fearful day to feel God's judgment, his wrath upon him. Then verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You have that picture there after 29. Can you imagine that day? If my kids were along there, I, they'd probably be going through, Dad, look, there's a shark right there, you know, sticking their hand in there. Can you imagine all those millions of people going through there? Look at that, the water. I mean, we're not talking just a pond. It's like, two, I forgot how many meters. It was deep. It was deep. And some people say, oh, they, they were through a reed sea and they just went through a swamp. No, you don't. You don't drown a whole army in a swamp. You know, if, if you can believe that God does all the other things in creation, this is not, this is like jump change for him to do this, you know. Um, then the, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egyptians and the Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. When they got out to the other side, do you know that later on even Rahab was telling Moses, hey, 
um, we heard about your guys, we heard about you guys, and they were fear, they had so much fear ahead of them, so the word had gotten out, right? I just have a couple quotes for you guys. You know, when we're on our peninsula of life, God is, Charles Swindoll, he was a preacher some years ago. Some of us that are older might remember him, but he said, God is not only in the business of saving us by getting us out of Egypt, he's also in the business of getting Egypt out of us as we navigate the wilderness so that we can get to the promised land in the end. Matthew Henry says, God brings us into straits that he might bring us to our knees. As I was hearing that song earlier that the worship team was playing, uh, No Longer Slaves, it says, you unravel me, deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. From a mother's womb, you've chosen me. God's love has called my name. God's blood flows through our veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. How many years have all of us been slaves we're no longer slaves, you know, we're his. I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father, just like that ocean. Can you imagine that water going out? It's the arms of the Father holding back, you know, come through. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. That's what he does. He drowns our fears in his love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I'm a child of God. Krista, wherever she is. Okay. Um, you know, so many times we finish with, a, with an ending and it's sort of uh, Levi means well and he's going to keep doing it because it's really good. He, it's sort of a blessing over everybody. And I think that's good. And sometimes I've just been thinking, Lord, you always bless us. We want to sing blessing to you back and end... Uh, you know, in that verse, uh, uh, the next chapter, Moses has a thing that he says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Who can do all that? All the people before that were doing their hurls you know that he also recorded a, a, a verse where they were saying, I'm going to gorge myself on you. These people, they were actually recorded in, in the next chapter what they would do. And God says, I, I've got all that handled. I've got your place on the point. And for us, who do we trust in someone other than a God who is so majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, Dear Lord, you've been good to us. I don't know all the problems that people have, all different. We all come from different places. We all need you, Lord. We don't trust you. We don't want to sometimes. We want our plans, at least I do. I need you, Lord. Would you give wisdom, personify wisdom to each? Would you bless people with your presence? Give them peace and comfort. May your goodness go before us. May we trust in you, Lord, as we come to our tips where you don't know what to do. You're the only way out. You carry us, Lord. 
We love you and we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.